Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Greetings. Like so many things all around us, often beautiful things, sometimes we can't see them. Sometimes we walk by them and we miss them. They're there, and if we took the time to stop and look, we we could see them. Try as we might, the darkness of our hearts cause us oftentimes to miss the beauty of the light. Sometimes we're in such a hurry. Sometimes we're so uh, self-focused that the beauty that's happening all around us in the lives of others, uh, we miss that too. But we can be thankful today knowing that Jesus gives sight to the blind. Can we say thanks be to God? David in Psalm 146 understood this about God. And he said this, he said, Praise ye the Lord. Praise you the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord, and I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goes forth, he returns to the earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is therein, which keepeth truth forever. He executes judgment for the oppressed, and He giveth food to the hungry, and the Lord looseth those that are in prison. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind, and the Lord raises them that are bowed down, and the Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserves even the strangers and relieves the fatherless and the widow by the way of the wicked He turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever and ever, even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations. And say it as the psalmist says it with me, praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we do praise you. We thank you for making one day in seven a day where we have the great invitation and the great blessing to stop worrying about and working to provide for ourselves, but that in this day we can rest from our labors and enjoy you, that we can think about you and what you've done in our lives, and we can know that you hold tomorrow, and that's why we can face today. Lord, we pray as we answer this invitation to come before you, Lord, that 
that You would forgive our sins as we know that You will. And that You would feed the hunger of our souls. That You would feed us with food from heaven. That You would change us to be more like You today. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said Amen. standing for just a little bit longer here as I read my text for you from John chapter 9 verses 1 through 7 as I preach to you today blind to the Sabbath John chapter 9 beginning in verse 1 says this it says and as Jesus passed by he saw a man which was blind from birth and his disciples asked him saying master who did sin this man or his parents that he was born blind Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, and he made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto them, Go. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and he washed, and he came seeing. Let us pray. Lord, we long to hear your word and be changed by it, Lord. So we pray that you would illuminate it to us, that we would see your word and the circumstances of the life that you lived in the flesh here on the earth that we would understand them, that they would speak to us today from John chapter 9. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There is a lot here in uh, our text and even more in the entire story, which actually goes on for quite a lot farther than our text. A great many things to turn our attention to. Now, even though the gospel accounts and all of the scripture, for that matter, were not originally sectioned out with chapter and verse. Did you guys know this? When they wrote them, there were no verses and chapters that we have that they added this later so that it would be easier for us to look up. We could talk about it. We could say this is in John 9, 15. uh, But when they were written, they weren't written like that at all. So sometimes, actually, uh, the divisions are not helpful. Sometimes it's divided in the middle of a thought uh, because when they... When they were looking at it, they thought it would be a good spot to divide it. Um, but even though it's, it's not like that, the John chapter 9 from verse 1 to verse 41, 41 verses are all one story. It's the beginning of the story to the end of the story is that entire chapter. Uh, so, so that kind of encapsulates this for us pretty good. Um, uh, the things that we're going to look at here... Uh, are what part we play in God's story. Everybody say, what part do I play? Causes of sickness. You don't have to repeat all of them. I just wanted you to say that one. Uh, Causes of sickness, the Sabbath, silly rules. Everybody say, silly rules. rules. You might think that's kind of a funny thing to say, but we make silly rules, and we'll get into that. Uh, Silly rules that seem spiritual, but that are not what they seem. Sometimes things to us make sense and we say, you know, if we had a rule like this, this would demonstrate our love for God. But 
But rules that man makes up, don't do that. God made all of those rules. Everybody say, God made all of those rules. None of His rules are silly. But all the ones we make can be silly. Alright? And we need to not add to God's Word. We'll get into that later. We're also going to talk about miraculous healing and total depravity and the saving power of the light of the glorious gospel. That's a lot of stuff to talk about, right? But it's what is included in this story. So don't worry, I'm not going to preach for two hours about this. But this story is a 41-verse teaching by our Lord. Okay? So, that's a lot, but that's what Jesus lived out for us and uh, John wrote down for us too. Now, here we are once again in a very long discourse in the life of Jesus. If you want to find expanded, long, drawn-out teachings of the Lord, you go to the book of John. John doesn't often repeat the stories that are in the uh, synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, What he does is he adds new information, new stories, and he adds these long discourses by our Lord and uh, from the theology that he has learned uh, from the Lord himself and uh, living for him for many years. The John the Beloved, now in his old age and many years experience uh, as serving the Savior, he recounts this story for our edification. And I, I'm certain that he adds the, the detail. There's a lot of detail in this story. And uh, he adds all of this and every detail is important. No details that are added in the Word of God are ancillary. And, uh, oh no, let's just sum it up. No, no, no. It, this is the condensed version. Alright? Um, now remember, Jesus had come to Jerusalem for what feast? Does anybody remember the feast He came for? You're going to let me down. we got a visitor here. Now, someone, seriously, come on. Feast of... He was there for the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? And he went and taught in the temple. He declared himself to be the Christ and he uh, argued with the Jews. He pleaded with them. He even screamed with passion. Say, what are, do you guys remember this? He, he screamed with passion that they would believe on him. For seven days of the feast, the priest had gone down to the only water source in Jerusalem. Anybody remember the name of that place? The Pool of Siloam. And they went down and they took a golden chalice from the temple and they would fill it with water and the, the Jews would all shout and they would get excited because that pool was also known as the pool of who? The pool of Messiah. Messiah. And so here he goes and he dips in the pool of Messiah, the priest does, and everyone cheers as he goes. And for seven days straight he goes and he pours the water over there. So Jesus goes on the last day when they're done pouring all the water and he goes, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And what he was saying was, I am the Messiah. This drink of water from the pool of Messiah, you're not going to need that anymore. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow what? Rivers of living water. Jesus was telling them that he was the water uh, in the pool of Siloam. That it was foreshadowing him. Now after this... Jesus, uh, of course, he does all this. He pleads with them, and they most of them don't receive him. In fact, they want to do what? What do they want to do to him? They want to, they want to kill him. And so he leaves town, and he goes right outside of town to the north and to the east. He goes up on a mountain called the Mount of Olives, and he kind of gets away from all of these crazy people that want to kill him because it wasn't time for him to die. So he comes back off of the mountain, and he comes back on the Sabbath day. And he comes, and he comes to teach them 
in the temple. So after he teaches, which we talked about the last time we got together, Jesus is teaching them before Abraham was. I am. When he gets to the end of his teaching, what do they want to do? They want to kill him again. So he's done teaching in the temple. It's still the Sabbath day. And as he passes by and as he leaves, this is what happens to him. Okay. John 9, 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from birth. Now, note, he is a man. Everybody say, he's a man. man. Not a boy. This man was blind from birth. Many years he had suffered this disability. Now, how many think it's fair that he was blind from the time he was born, and this had been going on for year after year after year? Anybody think it's just fair? This doesn't sound good, right? So the disciples, when he walks by, they see this, this had this disability. And as I was studying this, I actually read an article written by a blind person about this story. You want to talk about kind of giving you a different perspective. And I'm not going to give that to you, but, but blindness is a difficult thing. Blindness is synonymous with what? With ignorance, right? So wouldn't you hate to be a blind person and hearing people talking about, man, you're just so blind, man, you know? And you need to open your eyes. And even hearing the imperatives of Scripture that God's going to open the blinded eyes. As if blindness is the worst thing ever. Could you imagine being a blind person and listening to what the Bible, how the Bible talks a lot of times? And so this person was somewhat of a left winger. And they were mad at the, the harsh language. Because nowadays, uh, when you have a disability, instead of wanting to be cured of it, you go, well, what do I need to be cured of? This is great. You know, I'm deaf. I should celebrate my deafness. I'm blind. I should celebrate my blindness. Right? That's the way, that is the way, that's the new cool today, all right? Nobody, people say, hey, what, you know, what are you looking down on me for? Like, uh, there's something wrong with me? Well, you're blind, you know? Well, they didn't like it anyhow. Uh, think, of, think on that maybe this week a little bit. Now, it's often our first question, though, when we see someone, something happen to someone that we don't like, we want to know what, what? Why? Why did this happen? And so they ask him a question, which to them was an A answer or a B answer. I hate it when people give me these A and B answers. All right, Jesus answered the question. Did this man sin? Now, what a dumb question. He's blind from birth. Did this man sin? Now, they know he's blind from his birth. And when I worked on this, I thought, well, they must not have known. And John learned later he was blind from birth. But if you read the story, they know the man's blind from birth. But they still ask, did this man sin? How would you sin before you were born? I don't know how you can do that, but they were asking, did this man sin or did his parents? It was that, it was A or B, which is it? You know, something happens to one of our children, they're born with a difficulty with, you know, like the Murphy spina bifida, they're born with learning disabilities, they're born blind, they're born deaf, they're born some way. And the question is, who did something wrong? Did they do something wrong or did mom and dad? I'm glad that we don't have just A and B answers in the Bible. Can we say thanks be to God? I mean, it'd be hard to deal with. I mean, could you imagine that, oh, this horrible thing happened because, you know, you lied on your job application and God was going to get back at you. When God does these things that are hard, more difficult than we can comprehend, I would just assume not no. How about you? You know? Oftentimes, I wonder, is my wife's sickness my fault? I, I have gone to her and talked to her. I'm like, maybe I'm, I have had wrong attitudes and sinful behavior and attitudes. I don't know, but I, I, 
It, you, you know what it's caused me to want to do? Be really, really righteous and really live good. Now, you might go, well, God never does things. Yes, he does. Uh, if you don't know that God brings illness on people because of things they do and because of things their parents have done, I, I know this would not be a popular thing to talk about, but it's in the Bible over and over again. God does things to people because of what they do. In fact, even in particular, do you guys remember the story of Simon the sorcerer? He's trying to buy the Holy Ghost. And what happens to him, guys? He's smitten with blindness. By who? By God. Right there. So did, does God smite some people with blindness because of the bad things they do? Everybody say, God smites people with blindness because of the bad things they do. Come on, say it. How do we know that's true? Because it's in the Bible where God did it. I'm not, try, don't, you know, I'm not trying to lead you to believe something that isn't in there, right? In fact, I remember... A whole army coming to get a prophet. And what does God do to the entire army? He smites them with blindness. And they're all just completely blind. And he leads them around wherever he wants them to go. He leads them all the way back to Israel. So does God smite people with blindness? He absolutely does. Does God punish people for things that their parents do? Everybody say, yes, God does. This is not popular modern theology. We don't want to talk about this. This doesn't seem fair. But he does. The Bible says he visits the iniquity of, uh, of people, of the iniquity of the fathers on their what? On their children. You go, oh, I don't really like that. Doesn't, that doesn't sound fair. That doesn't sound right. It is true. But that's, there's not just A and B. There's also C. Everybody say there's C. All right? Yes. People, uh, God does things to people because they sin. Thanks be to God that he does, that he chastises us. I know a sweet man who I, who I would consider to be a godly sweet man who influenced me in my life. He was on his way to be a professional football player, and he uh, turned away from the things of God. He got in a car accident. He broke his back. His back was never healed. And every time we spent some quality time together and we got down to serious talk, and he would go, you know, I'm so thankful that God interrupted my plans. He said, I would have been living ungodly and doing wrong. And he said, and God cared enough about me to take my legs for me. Now, that's pretty rough business. But that's how he saw it. We don't know why God does what he does. But how many of you would be satisfied to say, I don't know why God does what he does. But I believe that in my life, that God does what he does in my life for his glory. And that's good enough. Whether it is my glory because I need discipline. Or my parents, you know, uh, we are reaping what my parents sow. There are sins that our parents did that we have nothing to do with that find their way in some weird spiritual genetic or physical genetic, I don't know, to be in us. We are prone to these evil sins that come from our fathers. And you might go, well, no, they're not. Yeah, yeah, they actually are. You'll see this in the Bible. Is it fair? Is it A? Is it B? Well, Jesus said, there's C. Jesus said, neither has this man sinned nor his parents. And I love what he says. You know, honey, this would, be, this would be a good one to put on a wall and a sampler in the Robinette house. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. How many want that? I do. I want the works of God to be made manifest in me, in my home, in my life, in my children. And if the works of God being manifest in my home mean that my wife has fibrosis in her feet and she can't walk now... After having 300 different crazy things that irritate the life out of her and me and are difficult, but that the works of God may be manifest in me, 
I think that we can get to a place, although we don't enjoy it, although we don't like it, although it hurts, although it's difficult, to say, Lord, use me. Are you there? Are you, that, are you there? Or would you just prefer the Joel Olstein gospel? This is difficult for many of you here, but God has made many a thing happen that are harder to hear and to understand. But I'm glad to end. I, I, I'm, Jesus' answer is going to be the answer for me. Who did this? Why did this happen? That the, that the works of God may be manifest in me. Isn't that what you want to say, Andy? That the works of God be made manifest in me. It may be X, Y, Z. It may be I did these things. It may be because of this. It may be all of that. But you know what? I belong to him unreservedly. My whole life belongs to Christ. And if he wants to make me a good example or a bad example, or if he wants to do what he wants to do, oh, but God, please use me. I know that's been my prayer in my life. I know there are people who horrible things have happened to and they've affected me and they've made me change my behavior as I've watched them happen to them. And I said, oh Lord, David had to deal with this as this baby that was born to Bathsheba languished and died and he knew it was dying because of who? Everybody say it's because of David? Sin. Oh, don't kill the baby. Please don't kill the baby. Oh, let the baby live. And he prayed and he cried, right? And what happened? The baby died. Did the baby sin? No. His dad did. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. For the night cometh and no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, here Jesus understanding what he was about to do. And what he was about to illustrate in what he was getting ready to do. He makes the contrast between day and night, between light and darkness, between being able to see and not see. This is what Jesus is doing. He understands that what he's been doing for two days, calling out, pleading and begging to the Jews over and over and over to believe in him, showing them miracle after miracle, and them going, could you show me a miracle? And he'd show them miracles, all these miracles. And they'd go, man, you know, if you would really show us a miracle, we might believe. And he'd go... No matter how many miracles I show, you're not going to believe. Why? Because they are, they're blind. I was reading this uh, article written by the blind person. They said, people talk louder to blind people for some stupid reason. Hello? You know, they're there and they can't see you and they're like, and they'll talk about you like you're not there. Um, You know, someone's with you to help you, you know, and you're a blind person. And someone goes, uh... Is he hungry? And the blind person's like, yeah, it, it, it's, it's not like I can't hear. All right? But these people, these people are deaf and they're blind. And no matter how loud you talk, no matter, uh, you know, what you do, you can't reach them. This is what is going on in Matthew 7 and Matthew 8 and Matthew 9. Jesus is going to illustrate to them that they, like people that are born in sin, right? All of us, right? Are born what? Are born blind. Blind from birth, not because of anything they did. Because you couldn't have done anything yet. Not necessarily because of what their dad did, but because of what Adam has done. They're born in their sins And there's nothing they can do about it. And they spend their whole life having to live like this for nothing they did. And that's what 
our whole life. We didn't do it. We didn't fall in the garden. We didn't eat the forbidden fruit. We didn't reject God and say we don't want to walk with you in the garden. But every day we live in this world, and unless Christ comes and opens our eyes, then we are going to be blind to this. Jesus is showing that this is what he's going to help them understand about mankind. You cannot argue him into it. You can't convince him. You can't do enough miracles. You can't feed enough people. You can't do anything incredible enough for them to listen to you. No matter if you take them to their scriptures and do miracles for them. If you're kind to them, if you plead with them, if you beg with them. Guess what? It's not going to work. The only thing that changes a man's heart is the touch of the master's hand. Amen? When he had thus spoken, he spit on the ground and he made clay of the spit. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. Now, I'm not recommending that the boys of the church, not that any girls would try this, of course. You know, only boys ever spit. But people say, you know, I don't want to hear from any of you children, you know, why did you spit? Well, Jesus spit and I want to be like him. Okay, this is not an area where you want to be like Jesus. No spitting. All right. Now you, you're thinking Pastor Mark's gone a little bit crazy pointing this out. Jesus spit. I mean, would you put that on a t-shirt? You know? But, but he did. And he spit on the ground. And not only did he spit on the ground, he made mud with it in his hand. Guys, this is really bizarre. I mean, you know, if, if, if you were, you know, a Tibetan, whatever, or if you were reading the holy books of Buddha or whatever like that, and he spits on the ground and he, you know, they'd be like, that's really weird. What's going on here? Right. This is this for a religious book. This is a really weird thing. Jesus is spitting. How undignified. Right. And he cut, takes and he stirs up and, 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 and some of the guys up here were talking, how much spit would it take to make clay? And you might go, come on, Mark, I can't believe you're talking. It's right here. He made clay. Luke, how much would it take? I'm saying one little isn't going to make clay enough to cover a guy's face in clay, right? It's not, it's not going to work, right? So he spit. He made clay with the spit. So, you know, uh, Tim was even asking up here. He's like, well, maybe he took a drink of water and he spit it out. But it not only says, Tim, it says he spit and with the spit made clay. So just in case you were wondering, he made the clay from the spit. He didn't get a big old mouthful of water and spit it on the ground. This is to keep some of you people awake, okay? We're talking about spit and we're talking about mud, hoping that you'll stay around long enough to get the point of what's going on here, right? So Jesus then says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And it has in parentheses here the King James, and I really, really wish that this were better in the King James, but it's not, which is by interpretation sent. Now, does anybody get that at all? Like when you're reading it, he said, go in the wash of the pool of Siloam, parentheses, which is interpretation sent. And he went there for him, washed and came. You, you do not read the King James and understand that they're meaning that the pool of Siloam is the pool of the messenger who is sent from God, the Messiah. I wish it said in parentheses, which means the pool of the Messiah. That, that would have been... That would have been a little more clear. What do you think, Andy? That would have been fantastic. But the King James kind of doesn't really give us that. He said to them, go wash in the pool of Siloam, parentheses, comma, which is the pool, uh, which means sent. And he went his way. Now, why would John throw that in there? 
Because what we're seeing here is we're seeing that Jesus is sending them to the pool of the Messiah. Now, the blind person that I read the article, they're like, how did he get all the way to the pool of Siloam? He's a blind man. That's an interesting thought. It didn't come in my mind. I don't know how he got there. But somebody probably had to get him there, right? And with this, Jesus is showing a picture of how that man is blind in his trespasses and sins. And he needs to go to be washed by the waters of Messiah to be clean and to be able to see. That's what he needs. And someone needs to take him there. How many of you want to be able to walk people to the, to the pool of Messiah, to the waters of the living waters of Christ, and to come with them as they are washed clean and been able to see? Won't that be great? Guys, that's what, that's what evangelism is. Evangelism is going with the blind and you're walking them to the pool of Messiah. And when they get there and when they wash with the waters of the Christ, their eyes are opened up. That's what it's all about, folks. Jesus is making this illustration so clear and so vivid. You would have to be what not to see it? Blind. And guess who doesn't see it? They don't see it. But they can see something. You know what they see? They see a guy spitting on the ground and making clay on the Sabbath. They see that. And I was telling Jacob yesterday, there are rules, not that are written in the Bible, but that the Jews made up about proper spitting on the Sabbath. Isn't that kind of neat? I mean... There's a lot of interesting rules. And, and Jacob says, where do you find a list of rules like this? You know, and it did take a little bit of research, but it's like, it's like finding gold. You know, you, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to, to me, this seems so strange to me. I just kept looking it up. What could possibly be the significance of this? And I found out that the Jews had this big, long list of dumb things that you can and can't do on the Sabbath. Okay. And we'll get into this. And one of them was about spitting. Isn't this neat? So why did Jesus spit on the Sabbath? Everybody say, because they had a dumb rule about spitting on the Sabbath. That's why Jesus spit on the Sabbath. So could, you know, here is the Christ, the Messiah. He's coming to straighten them out. And he knows they've added to his word a rule on spitting. So what does he do? On the Sabbath, he spits. Why? Because he knows that all the things he says that should be a revelatory about who he is, all the miracles he does, they should see that, but they don't see that at all. All they see is that he's spitting on the ground on the Sabbath, which is against the rules. They miss the healing. They miss the beauty. They miss the miracle. They miss the message, but they do see that he spits on the ground. This is us, folks. We hear a sermon we hear God's word, and in the darkness of our hearts, we hear the dumbest thing in it. How many, how many of you guys have kids, and you let them watch something maybe you shouldn't let them watch, and the thing that they see in it is the one thing you hope they didn't, and they say that word over and over and over and over. Has this ever happened to anybody? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the dark and blinded heart of man, instead of naturally and normally seeing the good things of God, is blind to them. And Jesus is illustrating this perfectly for them here. He does this incredible, beautiful miracle, and all they see is a guy spit on the ground on the Sabbath. 
The word Sabbath in Hebrew, as we know, is a day of rest, and the Lord commanded Moses to observe it the seventh day of every week. And I'm actually going to do a podcast a little bit about the Sabbath and about Gnosticism later this week. If you have not availed yourself of some of these podcasts, they're kind of fun to do. You might even hear me yawning or uh, cars passing by or me almost wrecking while I'm doing them. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. All right. But the Pharisees on the day of, the, of, of our Lord had changed the Sabbath into something that was never meant to be. Their desire to protect and uphold the law. They, they wanted, you know, they, they wanted to say, hey, if God's law says not to walk on the carpet, well, then what we're going to do is we're going to tell people God says we're not even allowed near the building. Okay. So they thought it would be better to make more rules to keep people away from breaking the real rules. We'll make rules on the outside. We'll build like a hedge around God's law. Good idea. Rationally speaking, everybody say bad idea though. Bad idea, okay. Our rat, God doesn't need our help. Okay, this is a this is a good theme in life. God does not need our help. All right. When it comes to his word, we never add to it. We never take away from it. Okay. Now I'm going to read you some of these just for those of you that might be having trouble staying awake, which none of you seem to be today. They taught that on the Sabbath day that if you had a mirror, Becky, you were not allowed to look in that mirror because you might now, not you, maybe some other woman in the church might see a gray hair. And if you saw a gray hair in the mirror, Derek, you know what you might be tempted to do? Pull it out. And that would be considered reaping. Now, we don't want to reap. Like, you know. Now, you'll notice that their laws generate around doing work. Like, you know, we don't go in the field and reap. Or we don't even reap. Bing! Our gray hairs. You know, we don't want to come anywhere close. Ooh. Now, part of these rules come from, not only from the nitpicky, precise people, but they come from the people that are always looking for a way around, you know, that, you know, they, they want a way around so they can do what they really want to do. There's two kinds. There's two. There's the legalist that wants to get their way around. And then there's the one that just likes being precise. And so you'll see some of these rules. They said you couldn't eat an egg that had been laid by a chicken on the Sabbath unless you had killed the chicken for breaking the Sabbath by laying the egg. And you might go, come on, that can't be true. Yeah, that's what it says. A donkey could not be led out of the stable. He could be led out of the stable, but you had to have saddled him the day before. Okay? So they would, so they, they're like, okay, wait, if it's wrong to saddle a donkey, we'll saddle him the day before. Woo! You know, they, woo, woo, and they, 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 they find their way around the law, right? It says we can't do that, but we can do it. We'll figure out a way. It says, it says that, um, if their lamps happened to be lit when Sabbath came, it began at sundown on Friday night, you could not blow them out. You could not go and blow them out. So what did you have to do? You had to leave them lit. And so you wasted all your oil and it was gone all night long. But if they had not been lit in time, then you'd all Friday night, it was an early night, there was no popcorn and movie night. You didn't light the candles, and so your whole house is in dark. It'll be like, oh, bummer. we got to go to bed early. All right? So they had these, these rules. Now, you were allowed to eat radishes. How many just love to eat radishes? I don't particularly like to eat radishes, but how many just love to eat radishes, right? Now, when people ate radishes, they liked to dip them in salt. Okay? I mean, it makes me want to try. You probably would do this, right? So, so radishes and salt. But some clever people know... That if you put radishes in salt, that you know what will happen over time, Amy? It will pickle them. 
It's like something you do. Like it's a, so what people would do who wanted to get some extra work done, you know, it's like when we were, uh, we lived in this other house. Did you guys know it's against the law to have a bonfire in your yard? Do you, does anyone know this? You cannot build a fire and just burn stuff in your yard. You're not allowed to do that. Andy, you're not allowed to, you're breaking the law when you do that. All right. Unless you are cooking. So we, we had this fire, the fire department came one time and they're like, they're like, you know, I'm like, I'm like, I've lived my entire life burning fires like every other day. Like, what are you talking about? They're like, oh, now you're allowed to, as long as you're cooking something. I mean, like you're saying I could like put a hot dog on a stick and I'm done. They're like, oh yeah, you're good. I'm like, oh, okay. So we always have hot dogs available when we're burning our trash piles or whatever we're burning. Always have hot dogs available, right? We want to find a way to break the law, right? That's us. That's our nature. We want to add the fire. All right, have a few hot dogs ready so when the fire department shows up, you can go, huh? (laughs) So these guys, with their radishes, what they did is they're like, "We we don't want to waste a whole day where we could be working. Let's take and fill all of our tables with pans of salt and let's put the radishes in them and we'll be eating radishes. We'll be, because you're allowed to dip them in salt. So you know what they had to do? They had to, people found out about this. And so they decided that they met with a council, Andy. This is really neat. And they would decide how long you were allowed to let the radish sit in salt on the Sabbath. And they figured out how long it took for a radish to begin to pickle. And so some of these people that were trying to figure out how they could pickle on the Sabbath, their, their plans were all messed up uh, by the new rules on exact time limits. Now, isn't this funny? Now, on the Sabbath, you were allowed to spit. Everybody say, you're allowed to spit on the Sabbath. But on the Sabbath day. Now, this is not in the Bible, and these are not rules of God, so I'm not making fun of that. These are silly rules. Everybody say, silly rules. Silly rules that they had believed more than they believed the actual rules of God. They didn't really care, Lucas. They didn't care about obeying God's law. They wanted to do what they wanted to do, right? And so somebody somewhere along the line probably did what Luke's talking about. They probably wanted to make some clay. And so they would put a bunch of water in their mouth and they'd spit. And then they'd put a bunch of water in their mouth and spit. And then they would just happen to walk around, you know. And next thing you know, they're making clay. Or some dumb thing probably happened like that. You go, oh, I can't believe. I'm telling you, people, you don't have children if you don't know this is possible. Kids are masters. Liam already could pass the bar exam. Uh... Because you can interrogate him, and he knows the right answers that's not going to get him in trouble. You know, he knows. No, I hope, oh, no, I did not get the chips out. Of course, he got popcorn out, but no, I did not get them out. No, oh, they were open. Oh, I see. So the rules were on the Sabbath day, you were allowed to spit on a rock, you were allowed to spit on a tree, and you were allowed to spit on a wall. Plenty of rocks, trees, and walls if you need to spit. But on the Sabbath, you were not allowed to spit in the dirt lest your spit turn the dust into mortar and mortar is something you work with. Now, if you didn't know this, you wouldn't understand what the Jews... So when we read this story over and over, every time Jesus encounters them, they go, so how did he heal you? So we want to know that. Not... Not everyone in town knows you've been blind from birth. Everyone's seen you begging. You know, you've been blind for year after year after year. You've been blind. Your life's been miserable. And a guy comes to you and he heals. Oh, now how did he do that? And that's what you'll hear in the rest of this. I don't know how much time we have to go through it all. You see, Jesus is going somewhere. Jesus was not only turning on the lights, so to say, for this man who had been, like all sinners, blind from his birth. 
He was shining the light in the darkness that the Jews had shed on the Sabbath by adding to God's law. He was turning on the light to the darkness they had added to God's law, the minutia, the insanity that they cared more about. What did Jesus say? A lot of the things that they want to do are good, but you do these and you forget about the actual law. Kind of like the guy who built the Taj Mahal to honor his wife who had died, but he got so involved in building it that he lost her casket. She's not even buried in there anywhere. The, 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 The building was so elaborate. We should be very, very careful about this. Now, don't... Tell your children that God forbids things that God's word does not. Or command things that God's word does not command them. Tell them instead these are our rules for our family. Okay. Verse 8. Neighbors therefore, them which had seen him before that he was blind said, Is this the guy? Like He was so altered by the touch of the Lord and by his sight that they weren't even sure he was the same guy. Verse 10, therefore they said unto him, how? Everybody say, how? How was this done? And I wish there was a parenthesis around it with a question mark. How? Like, like how exactly was this done? Because this is really where this whole, for 41 verses, that's what they're talking about. Everybody say, for 41 verses, that's what they're talking about. Isn't this crazy? Here we go. God had done a wonderful thing. They were so blind and concerned it wasn't done the right way. Not the right way according to God's word, of course, but the right way according to the added things. He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay. He anointed my eyes. He said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and I washed and I received my sight. The imagery of the miracle is direct. The blind man's eyes are healed only after being washed in the pool of Messiah. Now, what's interesting about this, he never saw Jesus. He did not act in faith. It was not like, remember the other ones, if you believe, right? This is not what this is about. If, if you can do this. No, no, no. He, the man's just there. He's not asking to be healed. He doesn't want to be healed. No one, he's not, they're not bringing him to be healed. The man's just, he's minding his own business. He's just there. As Jesus passed by, he saw him. This is, what, this is a picture of salvation. Other miracles were done for, what, for different reasons. This miracle is done to give us a picture of salvation. Here he is. He's not calling out to God. He's not asking to be healed. He never sees Jesus. And I think that's what this is all about. I think that's why Jesus puts the mud on his eyes and tells him to go. And he sends him with somebody or however he gets there. And he goes to the pool and he washes in the pool and then he comes away see so that he doesn't even he didn't even recognize Jesus where I don't even know all I know is some guy came I, I I couldn't identify him I couldn't draw him I couldn't point him out of a crowd I don't know and this is salvation why does God save me he saved me because he loves me he saved me for his glory he does this you know I don't even exactly know how he does what he does but he does it they said well where is he and he said I don't know so the Pharisees brought him the so they, they, so the people go, and, and they're worried, you know. If you have leaders that are like this, the people are going to be like this times ten. Okay? So your leaders are making up these rules, and, and they, they miss the whole thing, but the people are going to be times ten, right? So they bring them. They're the tattletales. Hey, hey, this guy's been blind. But we heard the way the healing happened just wasn't according to the rules. It was a Sabbath day. Jesus made the, the, the clay, they tell the Pharisees. What are they doing? They're tattling. Tattling is not good. All right? I tell our children, uh, if your brother's wanting to run out in the road, uh, you should 
you need to stop him. If you have to tackle him or hit him in the head to keep him from being run over, that's fine. Uh, if you guys are out playing, I don't need you to come and tell him every five minutes what so-and-so did to you. That's what they did. These were tattling Pharisees followers. Jesus is reminding his readers what day of the week it was when here in verse 14. Now, the Pharisees ask him how. They say how. This is what they keep coming to. How did he receive his sight? And he said, oh, he put clay on my eyes and, and I wash and I see. Now he leaves out that Jesus spit on the ground, right? Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not of God because he keeps not the Sabbath. See, they, there they go. What do they see? They don't see what they don't see. He went to the pool of Siloam. They don't see that he washed. They don't see that he's been blind his whole life, and this hor- this horrible condition has afflicted his life and made him a beggar, made him not be able to work, and his, his life has changed. They don't see any of that. What do they see? This man's not of God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others said, "How can this man be a sinner when he does such miracles?" So now, what Jesus is doing is he's causing some problems in their political structure and their rule. They're like, "This doesn't make sense." Even the, these uh, infantile followers here who are still blind, they still have sense enough to go, okay, you say he's not of God, but he did heal a guy. I mean, this is kind of rocking their world. They're just like, hey, you know, you, you might be right. You may, you may know the details of how he's doing this wrong, but I'm telling you, he did do something really good. So maybe the good thing he did is outweighed maybe by this. So they're, they're arguing about it. They say to the blind man again, uh, what do you say about this guy that has opened your eyes? And he said, oh, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe concerning him that he had hit blind, though. They, they're thinking, you know what? I think this story is made up. Now, so now instead of believing all of the people and all the witnesses, instead of believing the guy, they're not willing to, they don't want to believe anybody. They think that this guy must really not have been blind, right? So that's going to be their new tactic. They're not going to say, did, they're just going to, the new tactic is he wasn't really blind. So they decide to go deeper. Nathaniel, and they go to the, the parents. Was your, was your son blind? He's like, hey. Uh, they said, is this your son whom you say was born blind? Do you say that he was? They're like, he absolutely is our son. And he was born blind. His parents had answered and said, we know that this is our son. And we know that he was born blind. I mean, could you imagine having to explain this to people? Like, our, like everyone in the whole village, everyone knows this. This is as plain as daylight to everyone in the whole world. And now you're wondering, is it actually my son? Has he ever been blind? He's a man. Kind of like the guy at the temple in Acts chapter 3. He had been there. He's 50 years old. He'd been at the gate begging for 50 years. Everyone in town saw him. And so when they grab him by the hand and they lift him up, it's not just that they're healing. They're healing somebody that everybody in the city knows. And still they do what? They reject him. Everybody knows this beggar. Everybody has seen him. Well, all right. By what means does he see? We don't really know. How could this happen? Who opened his eyes? They're lying. They've already been told, right? They're they're doing interrogation technique. Tell me the story again. Tell me how it happened. And the parents said, he's old enough for you to ask. He's a man. Why don't you ask him yourself? The parents realize they're in trouble. They are, they're like before the KJB, the, the KJB, they're before the KJB, uh, the K, the Russians, those dirty Russians, right? CIA, you know, the whole nine yards, right? 
these words they said because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man... They've already agreed. It doesn't, they've already decided that he's guilty before it's ever happened. If any man confess Christ, that man should be put out of the synagogue. They're going to kick him out of the church. Therefore, said his parents, he's of age, ask him. So they called the man that was blind. They said, oh, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. So he's trying now, they're appealing that God is, oh, God is good. Don't say anything good about this man. Just say God is good. And you can tell us that the man is a sinner. They're trying to trick him. He answered, he said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know, right? Famous words everyone can quote, right? One thing I know, whereof I was blind, now I... See, he kind of boiled it right now. You know what? I'm not a theologian. I don't understand. I may not understand the rules. But let me tell you what I do know. I know I was blind and I know I can see. You know, it doesn't take theologic, it doesn't take mental uh, brilliance to be saved. You don't have to understand how salvation works and when uh, God applies these things to your life. And you don't, you don't have to know all that. You don't have to be a scholar or a theologian. It's not required. I don't know. All I know is I can see. Verse 26. So what do they say, guys? What do you think they're going to say next? You think that's going to impress them, Andy? You think they're going to be satisfied? Oh, what beautiful words. They say, how did he do this to you? What kind of things did he do? Could you recount to me, you know what, how he violated the Sabbath in doing this work, right? The man, seeing what they were doing, says, I have already told you. Did you not hear? So he's calling. So the guy that's now not blind is accusing these guys of being what? Deaf. He is seeing their deafness. They've been told over and over and over and over and over. And here he is telling, I already told you. Did you not hear me? They reviled him. They said, you're his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake to Moses for he... As for this fellow, we don't know. The man answered. And the man gives his defense of Christ and, and doctrine. And you know what? It's really not that great. And he's unable to convince the Pharisees. And you know what they say? They just, Steve, they cut him to the core. They tried to pull, he, tried to, he tried to tell him his three Bible verses that he knew. But these important, smart uh, powerful people, they basically ground him into the ground and basically called him a dirtbag. Thou wast altogether born in your sins and you think you're going to teach us and they threw him out. They missed the miracle. They missed the miracle man. They missed, the, they missed it all. And all that they saw was rage and threat and nonsense. Why? Because they were blind. Jesus heard about this and he went to the, to the man whom he had healed and he says, do you believe on the Son of God? And he said, well, who is he? This is, a, this is, this is pretty cool. And I, I'm winding up here. Jesus had healed the man. He couldn't recognize Jesus. Didn't know where he was. Didn't ask for it. Didn't have faith. Does it sound like you and me? That's us. Christina, that's how Jesus came to you. You weren't, you weren't on the giant quest. You were living your life doing just, just living that way. And God came to you and he opened your eyes. And then all of a sudden you just couldn't live that way anymore. And you couldn't explain it and you didn't understand it. And people told you you were an idiot and you're like, hey, you know what? I might be an idiot. And folks, some of you might be right there. I might be an idiot. I might not have the right answer to your questions. But I can tell you right now, something's different about me and I know it. 
And i got to live that way. You can throw me out. You can make fun of my arguments. You can do whatever you want. So Jesus comes to him, and he doesn't even know who he is. Who's the Lord? He goes, I don't even know who he is. (laughs) I don't know who he is that I might believe on him. Verse 36, verse 37, Jesus said, you have both seen him. And it is he who is talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Do you know salvation is as simple as that? Before you were blind, before you didn't notice it. But now you can see you don't have to understand it. You don't have to justify it, but you know that something has changed. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world that they which see not might see. And they which see might be made blind. Jesus loved you and me and he let us see. But those people are in darkness still. And they can't see the beautiful thing that God has done in your life. But don't be surprised that they can't. They're blind. Man, this speaks to me about what God has done in my life. What I see him doing in the lives of others. If we saw our life this way, we wouldn't be so frustrated with all these people that can't see, would we? They just can't see. And what we would do, he, he, this man doesn't revile the Pharisees. They let, he lets them throw them out. He's nobody. That's like us. Who are we? We're someone who the Savior came to visit, who changed us when he did. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this story. Let it be a reminder to all of us that humility is ours. There is no pride in our salvation, no pride in our wisdom, our intelligence, our our faith. It is you and you alone who by grace has saved us and begotten us into a lively hope. That it is not by the will of flesh or the will of man, but it is by your holy will that you have saved us. Lord, as we have now been given the torch of the flame of the Spirit and we carry it, may we learn from these Pharisees that blindness comes very easily. May we not add to your word or take away from your word. May we not reason a way to build hedges around the things that you have so expressly forbidden. May we direct people there. And not get caught up in a life that can easily be torn down as this life seems so foolish to us. There are rules on spitting and beats and the whole nine yards. How dumb. Because what happens is then when people come to you, they see these things and they say, you're dumb. But Lord, you have no silly rules, no silly laws. All of your laws are just and holy and right. And any good law that we think we may want to pass on top of that is merely our own foolishness. I pray that we would love your word, know your word, and stand on your word and walk in humility before you and before all men. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen.
Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.